It's hot outside, and now you can ride the heat wave of summer with hot sales at Waltons.com. Right now, they're holding their biggest summer sale ever, and it features your favorite Waltons branded grinders, mixers, and vacuum sealers. All non-suffer equipment is running between 20 and 35% off, and the Waltons branded chamberless vacuum bags are up to 40% off. If you want to keep your food fresh with their chambered vac sealer right now, It's $275 off. Yeah, you heard that right. So get a jump on processing season now and save big time with Walton's Summer Sale. It's hot. To order, head over to waltons.com today. This episode of The Flush Podcast is brought to you by Walton's, Aluma Trailers, North Dakota Tourism, Federal Ammunition, Onyx Hunt, and by Nutrisource Pet Foods. Today, I'm joined by my bird hunting buddy, Tyler Webster. Tyler is just days away from leaving on yet another dream bird hunt, which is just the start of yet another dream bird hunting season. We'll live vicariously through Tyler on this show, but really our goal is to help you start planning your own dream bird hunting adventures this fall. Plus, we'll get an update on the birds in North Dakota. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Morton. As always, is our producer, and Tyler Webster is our guest from the big city of Stanley, North Dakota. Are you actually in North Dakota right now, Tyler? Uh, I am. I got back. Uh, I was out in Montana for the weekend. Uh, I left here last Thursday, and I was out in Montana doing some hiking and light bird scouting, swimming, fishing, that kind of stuff. I just got back from Glacier last night about 11 (laughs) o'clock. So, yes, I am in Stanley for now. Jeez, for a few jeepers. You, you, every time I tr- I open up my phone, I see you somewhere, and I'm like, dude, like, you're all over the place. You're in some kind of a paradise 365 yeah. days a year, I swear. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean – you know, and honestly, this is the first time uh, in a long time that this is the first trip all summer I've taken. Um, I, uh, well, I, okay, that's, that's not, that's not necessarily true either. I was out in Michigan the first part of June and I was in, in Montana bear hunting in May, but I spent almost all of June and a good chunk of July here in North Dakota, which is probably a record for me. But it's, yeah. uh, I, I, I haven't really wanted to leave a whole lot this summer because the fishing's been just absolutely insane up here. And I've been wanting to spend all my time down on the lake chasing walleyes, but. Uh, it was kind of nice to get up to the mountains and and uh, put a heavy pack on and do some hiking up there in blue grouse country for a couple days trying to get the legs ready for season. How are they? Are they ready? Pretty ready. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I've been rucking around out here on the prairie a little bit, which is not the same as rucking around in the mountains. Let me just clear <laughs> that up right now. Uh, whatever, whatever I thought that I was ready for, um, when you go from mm, 2,600 feet of elevation up to 7,000 feet elevation and go from a 20 pound pack to a 45 pound pack, mm-hmm. that's not the same thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, after, after 20 miles of hiking in four days and, and a whole bunch of vertical up and down, I feel pretty darn good. Actually. Uh, it yeah. was, when, when I woke up yesterday morning, I was ready to go again, and that's uh, usually a pretty good sign that, that uh, I'm pretty much ready for season. Tyler Webster from the Birds, Booze, and Buds podcast. If you have not listened to it, you should. Tyler has been doing this longer than I have. 
um, and is a wealth of bird hunting knowledge. Tyler, how many days did you hunt last season? Do you remember? Did you keep track? Yeah, uh, I've been keeping track uh, every year for the last five years, trying to one up the year before. And uh, two years ago, I hunted 127 days. And last year, I hunted 133 days. And so that's kind of uh, what brings me on your podcast today to what we're going to be talking about. My next adventure is, is just kind of the latest iteration on how to make my season as long as possible. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> well, I'm going to have, I'm going to have no problem beating the 133 this year. I'm, I'm no doubt about that. Have you already uh, done the math on what your numbers could look like? Well, I mean, just quick math off the top of my head, August, September, October, November, December, January is six months. Um, I hunt almost every day, um, other than travel days and the random day off here. So if you take half the year, 365 divided by two, that's, you know, going to, going to put you right there in that 182 range. And I mean, mm -hmm. it's going to be 150, 160, I'd say. Well, I hope you have no issues. I hope you do not get injured. Knock or, on wood. Yeah, because yeah, yes. that's like, it's, that could just, I've, I think about that all the time. Seriously, I lose sleep over that. Do you <laughs> really? Yeah, it's like, man, if I'm out there hiking around with my pack on in Montana and I slip and fall in a hole and tear my ACL, mm -hmm. my season's done. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and it's, we, we don't get a whole lot of these seasons. You know, we only get so many trips around the sun. And I don't know what I would do with myself if I had to miss a whole season. It would be, it'd be maddening for me. The, your podcast episodes would be unlistenable, probably. They'd be very dark. Yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure that, that they'd be a little depressing. Uh, I'd probably just be on there. Like, I wouldn't want to talk to anybody else. I'd, I'd just sit there and, yeah, it, it wouldn't be good. No, it wouldn't be good at all. <laughs> well, yeah. Fortunately for me, you are part of my next dream season, Tyler. <laughs> you and yeah. I have been talking yes. behind the scenes. We we stay connected almost year round. And yeah. uh, we have, you know, like North Dakota obviously is, is your home and one of your favorite places to hunt. It's not my home, yeah. but it's one of my favorite places to hunt. And I'm always looking for any excuse I can to get up there. And we've come up with one. We won't necessarily get into it on this show, but it's a variety of hunting, yeah. um, you know, that we're going to be doing this this fall. I'm looking forward yeah. to that. But that's a long ways away yeah. for, you know, where we stand right now. Um, but I think it's I think it's a good time for us to really get into plans because you know, this, there's still time. If you want to go somewhere like you're going in August to Alaska, we'll get into that adventure shortly. But just now we're starting to get some information coming out about different places around the country, drought, non-drought, you know, some areas are just looking phenomenal this year. Uh, but you are a mail driver when you're not running all over the world chasing birds. Uh, well, and you're... My employees are male drivers. I write. Yeah, checks. I know, but <laughs> that's but basically you, all I do anymore. But you have spent more than a couple of days yeah. in the last two months driving the route so that they can have a vacation during the summer, so that you can take the next six months off and go chase birds. <laughs> so you, there's a lot of information that comes out of those miles that you're putting on in the gravel roads, and people like to know what you're seeing out there. For Specifically, sure. not just I'm actually talking about myself here. I <laughs> want to know what you're seeing out there in on those gravel roads in North Dakota. I've you know, heard that the conditions are good. Is that yes. accurate? Yeah, the conditions are are probably the best that we've seen since 2016. Um, the one thing 
that's going to be kind of the wild card in all this. So I guess I could actually go over a few numbers. Um, the North Dakota Game and Fish Department came out here about a month ago with a spring crowing count for rooster pheasants. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, a lot of, like the northeast part of the state was down, the southeast part of the state was down, and the southwest part of the state was down in like the 15 to 25% range. Um, and a lot of that had, was due to the fact that that really bad uh, winter storm, that bad blizzard that we had in April, caught that side of the state and the south and southern part of the state a little bit harder than it did up here in the northwest. The northwest part of the state was only down 4% from last year. So overall, the pheasants were, were down a bit. But what I think we're going to make up in big, healthy broods of birds because the nesting cover looks fantastic and the bugs look I mean, you look at the front of my pickup for a bug report. Um, (laughs) There's plenty of bugs out there in the landscape. Mm -hmm. So I think that we're going to see bigger brood size this year. Uh, The numbers that people are really going to want to look out for are going to be the brood, the roadside surveys, the brood surveys that the North Dakota Game and Fish conduct uh, in August. And those numbers, they usually publish those end of August or the first part of September. And that will be on the North Dakota Game and Fish website. And they do a really good job. They got uh, different routes from all over the state. And it's the routes have been going on for 50 years or whatever it's been. And uh, so there's a really nice data set there. And so the crowing counts, it, it's not really a super accurate, um, you know, metric, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, because it only counts rooster pheasants. It only counts the ones that are talking. I mean, it doesn't take in, you know, whatever. Um, it just says that there's less rooster pheasants on the landscape than there were last year, which I always surmise uh, that's because I shot all the rest of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, the sharptail grouse one just came out the other day, and the numbers for sharptails were down, but not significantly. And again, I think that's pretty, you know, that they were down not a ton uh, and that's year over year for uh, lex surveys for the sharp tails, and me personally being out there on the on the mail routes, this is kind of where the the little weird muddy water comes in. I haven't seen a brood yet, um, which isn't necessarily uncommon uh, because the nesting cover is literally waist high everywhere. They haven't started cutting hay up here yet. There's no crops coming off yet. Um, and, and there's still enough, um, you know, usually it's kind of what we wait for is, um, uh, August days where the dews really, the dew points really high and the birds come out of the wet grass onto the roads and you can actually see them on the roads. Mm -hmm. We haven't had that yet. So until that really happens, we won't get a real accurate kind of figure on what's actually out there, but I'm pretty sure we're going to be fine. I'm really hopeful for this season. How about Hungarian partridge? Well, I mean, I got five pairs in my yard this spring. Uh, still haven't seen any babies, um, but I think that huns are pretty tough birds. They don't um, – the winter doesn't really bother them a whole lot. Um, it's it, it's really more so the nesting conditions than anything else and, and the, the weather. You don't want to get – any prolonged stretches of cold, damp weather during the during the peak of their hatch, which is usually typically the end of June. Um, and we didn't have any of that because as what happens is those little birds, when they, you know, when they hatch, they're smaller than a ping pong ball and they're super sensitive to hypothermia. Uh, and if a mama hun has 15 eggs, I think 14 is a, is a, is a average size clutch. They have 15 birds or 15 babies and 14 of them die, they will raise that one bird. 
Uh, if they all die, they'll renest. But if they don't all die, that that's that's going to be the brood size. So that's why you don't want to. That that's what happens on those years where you end up seeing those small like five six bird coveys. Is you had some sort of a rain event, really cold weather, chicks got hypothermic. That's all they could huddle up underneath mama's wings, and that's what you get for that covey this year. Uh, that that particular year, I don't think we're going to see that this year. Um, we had all of our rain in. Uh, we had that blizzard in April. We had a lot of rain in May. We had some rain in early June. And then the weather really straightened out. And we had a stretch of phenomenally nice weather, mid-80s, not anything super hot. We didn't have any bad thunderstorms, uh, no hail, nothing like that. So I'm really expecting to see a lot of huns on the landscape this fall. Hmm. When we talk about these reports, you know, and it's it's got to be, like you mentioned, the crowing counts, how accurate they can be. I mean, there's so many factors that can right. influence those numbers. Was it windy? You couldn't hear as well that day. You know, I mean, there's, you know, it's, it's the same route year after year after year at the same time. And so, I mean, they take those numbers as a hunter though, Tyler, when you hear numbers like that, you know, it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No down a little bit or whatever, but it's, there's always pockets. There's always areas that fare right. better for different reasons. Obviously, if there's large tracts of great habitat that can help them survive a lot of the elements that can harm them, but it's never just a blanket statement. At least that's what I've learned. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you kind of just, I, the, the what I try to look for when I'm trying to plan a trip to go someplace else other than here, um, I'm looking at where God where got the most rain, but where got the timeliest rain? Like it's mm -hmm. not, it's not like quantity or quality isn't quantity or whatever the saying is. Like uh, if you're out in Montana, the key time for most of these prairie birds is going to be from the end of April through the first two weeks of May. And a lot of people down south are probably going to freak out a little bit, but our birds up here, the peak of our pheasant hatch in, in my part of the state up here is probably about the 12th of, Ju 12th of June or so. Sharptails are a little bit later than that, and Huns are even a little bit later than that on a typical year. I My feeling is that this year they probably want to touch later just because we did stay so cold in May. Uh, we, we were still getting freezing temperatures. I think we had a snowstorm uh, in the middle of May. I mean, it wasn't really a storm, it was, but we had snow in the middle of May is, is the mm -hmm. point. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if, they're, if when the hunters actually do get out in the landscape this year, you're going to see – that opening weekend of pheasant season, you're going to see some roosters that really don't look quite like roosters yet. You know, <laughs> they're probably going to have the red eyes and maybe like three colored feathers and somebody's, everybody's going to yell hen and then you're going to stop and think and be like, no, 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 that was a, that was a, that was a boy. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's the, if you can kind of pay attention to the, uh, the rain patterns and the time in which they get the rain patterns, because for prairie birds, the, end of April, the first couple weeks of May, that gets that nesting cover growing in the prairie. If you don't get that, that time, um, everything will stunt. So you'll, everything, the crops may look fantastic, but the, the grass and the prairie will, will stunt a little bit. Um, with huns and pheasants, it's kind of a, a mix of both. I mean, you need to get that nesting cover going, uh, and you also need to get the crops going because the birds up here definitely do like uh, having some egg. And they, they use it for nesting cover as well as for food in the fall. Uh, but it's more so about the time that the farmers are planting. Uh, if the farmers are planting in the middle of June when the pheasants are supposed to be on sitting on the nest, they're going to end up disturbing those hens, right? 
So mm-hmm. if you have a if you have too much rain in in May and early June, where the farmers are having a late time getting into the fields, uh, it, it's not necessarily a good thing either. So it, it's all kind of a balancing act. But you know, the thing that I figured out in the last couple of years is that it doesn't really matter what the bird numbers are. I'm going to go anyways. Um, it's just kind of something fun that we do during the off season to kind of pass some time. You know, I got. 12 different uh, towns across the country that are uh, listed on my weather app that I'm checking on the weather all the time because mm-hmm. I'm just kind of curious to see what's going on in that particular part of the world, um, whether it's Arizona, Kansas, Montana, Nebraska, you know, wherever. Um, I'm always kind of keeping track of that. And it's just kind of something to keep my mind occupied during the off season when I'm kind of help keeps me from going a little bit stir crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you mentioned the weather app and I was going to get to that because I know you watch it like crazy. Um, what have you seen about the, mo- or with the monsoon season, Southwest con- yeah. part of the country? So it started a little bit earlier than normal, um, but it hasn't been super strong. So there's still a really good chance. I mean, we're, we're only really about three weeks into the monsoon season down there. And it's been raining a decent amount. It hasn't been raining quite as much as I would like to see yet. But the monsoon season goes through end of August. So we we still got plenty of time left. Um, But I was talking to a friend of mine, Wade, uh, works for the Arizona Game and Fish Department down there. And he said the old timers always say that if the monsoon season starts early, it's going to be a little bit of a weaker monsoon season. So, I mean, that could be like the farmer's almanac kind of a thing, Mm -hmm. but it does seem to kind of be following along with that pattern. Um, I think it's going to be an average rainfall, according to the National Weather Service and all the other different organizations out there that I pay attention to, uh, NOAA, all that kind of stuff. They're all saying that it's going to be average to slightly above average as far as rainfall goes. Um, but it's just been kind of a little bit slow going. However, there are just like you were talking about here a minute ago, there are pockets down there that have gotten substantially more rain than other, other parts of of South, South, Southern and Southeastern Arizona. So, um, if you've been paying attention, uh, you will have a pretty good roadmap as to where, uh, I mean, so far anyways, where the good Mern's quail hunting is going to be. So, uh, when did those birds hatch down there? And why, uh, why do summer rains make such a difference for them? Yeah. Um, well, usually they should be hatching in early October, end of September, early October, mid-October, somewhere in there. The Mern's quail season doesn't open up until the first week of December. Uh, so it's a, it's a delayed opener because they do require all this monsoon rain in the summertime before they nest. Uh, something happened last year. I don't know what it was, but, uh, there was definitely a failed nesting, uh, early that, that did not work. When we were down there the first weekend of Mern's quail season, we were finding birds. Well, actually we weren't finding any birds. We were finding a total lack of birds. Uh, and then we went back in there two weeks later, uh, when you and I were down there hunting and we found birds all over the place, but we were still finding some birds that were very young. So, uh, that first time when we were down there, those birds were probably very little, uh, young birds have very little scent to them at all. It takes a little while for, uh, for them to kind of start getting some, some dust in those feathers where the dogs can kind of pick them up a little bit better. Um, and something had happened with that first nesting where they were just delayed a little bit, but yeah, it it should be the end of September, early October, mid October, somewhere is when those birds should be hitting the ground. Hmm. It seems late to me, but yeah, I guess I, I just had a, a listener send me a couple of photos 
on Instagram the other day of a giant uh, covey of quail up, I want to say in Washington. I believe Mm. it was Washington. And I said, is that this year? And he said, yeah, it's a big, one of the biggest coveys I've ever seen up here. Um, So uh, that's, I mean, we obviously love that. We're starting to see that. I I saw another brood, uh, Darwin sent Darwin Wildryer. He sent a video this past weekend of a bunch of birds, uh, pheasants running down a gravel road at his place. And he's very, very, very optimistic. Uh, You know, I think as a whole, Across bird country, there's a lot of optimism. We always want to be optimistic. There's a little, there's a few places though that I think people are worried. I've talked yeah. to some friends down in Kansas, and they're yeah. they're concerned. They they have legit concern because of the drought that's ongoing there, and what that's doing to the birds, quail, and pheasants in their region. Um, you know, we I I think it's you know it, we would just be guessing if we're talking about that um unless you have specific accounts from that region yeah uh, everybody that i've talked to from down there they're all a little bit worried about western kansas it's been really dry mm-hmm. uh really really dry really really hot um you know and at this point we're in mid july i mean if if there hasn't been any rain yet it, it's kind of it's, it's almost past hope a little bit um mm-hmm. just because you know we're well past nesting season down there in that part of the world so the only thing they can, they can really hope for is to get some rain on the ground, whether it comes in the form of thunderstorms or whatever it is to, uh, if there were some, uh, some, you know, whatever birds, obviously there was going to be some production, but whatever birds are on the landscape to just kind of help them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a rough year in Western Kansas. It looks like, however, it does look like some parts of Nebraska might be a little bit better than what we've seen in the last few years. Yep, exactly. And I think that's what kind of gets us to, uh, the the crux of this whole conversation today is to how to go about planning a we'll call it a dream season, your own sure. dream season, or just hunts that you've wanted to go on for a while. Uh, you know, Tyler, you you travel all over the country. I do for work as well, and uh, get to hunt in places uh, all over the country with people just like you. I love doing it. I look forward to it. I can't wait for it. Um, but you can't just stick a pin in the map and say, I'm going there, or maybe you shouldn't, uh, because there's there to do it right. I think it takes some planning. Um, I don't think your planning really ever stops. Does it? No, not really. Uh, for me, it's all kind of come down to trying to figure out where, where and how I can extend my season because my months of September, October, November, December are already planned. I already know what I'm going to be doing then. Um, I'm going to be, you know, here in North Dakota and Montana in September. I'm going to be, I'm never leaving North Dakota in October ever. You could not drag (laughs) me away from North Dakota in October with a team of stampeding bison. Uh, North Dakota. Just to jump in on that. I I feel like, yeah, that's, that's, if there's one place that I could be, I, I get torn a little bit because I really love rough grouse and I love walking through the forest, but North Dakota in in mid October, late October, I would argue that you couldn't find a better bird hunting place to be uh, because of the variety. You know, like the you know it's, when we go out there, like the, the different upland bird species are one thing, but then waterfowl and you know ducks, geese, cranes, uh, but then also the fishing. Yeah, you know, I mean, like it is world class 
fishing. So there's just simply not enough hours in the day. And that's what sucks when I go there. I don't want to leave. Definitely. Yeah. I talk to a lot of my friends and I, I kind of joke, but I'm also very serious. If October was 90 days long, uh, I wouldn't come out of it alive. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I just, I just wouldn't. I mean, there's like from the time, like since, since I was a kid, um, and we even like, we started trapping in the end of October as well. There's another thing that, that, that I really have a lot of passion for and that I like to do, but, um, there's just not enough, there's just not enough daytime. So, you know, mm-hmm. a typical October day for us is we're getting up, um, five thirty, six o'clock in the morning. We're having some breakfast. We already got the trailers loaded up with decoys, uh, whether it's Sandhill crane silhouettes and A-frame blinds or water decoys for ducks or, field decoys for ducks and and honkers and and whatever else is around and layout lines, whatever it is, we're loaded and we're ready to go. So we grab coffee, we hit the road, set up decoys for an hour, get the blinds brushed in, hunt ducks and geese in the field or on water until about 9.30, walk up to the truck, swap out of our camouflage and waders or whatever the heck we're wearing and put on our upland hunting clothes, do that until we're either limited out or until the day's over and then occasionally after that just in case we didn't we wanted to really go crazy we'll bring fishing pole with fishing poles with and we'll go and fish offshore on one of the mini bridges up on lake darling or down at the tail race or whatever and fish for either walleyes or ling or whatever whatever the case may be and we've had lots of days where we're up in the morning at six o'clock and we don't go to bed until one o'clock the next day uh and we've been doing stuff outdoor related activities that entire time it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's, it's madness. <laughs> it's, it's excellent. It's, I love it's it. madness and wonderfulness yeah. and everything all at the exact same time. Yeah, it is. Oh gosh. You got me excited. Just thinking about it. Yeah. Oh, it's then, hard though, because it is, it's going to be almost a hundred degrees here today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, we had that yesterday. I, uh, we had all kinds of nasty storms up here yesterday. It was, uh, when you drive underneath the storm, I was on my way back from Montana. It'd be 62, 63 degrees and occasional small hail. Uh, and then as soon as you got out the other side of the cloud, it was 95, 96. And I was like, Oh, these are going to be gnarly storms all day. Uh, but, uh, so, and then, uh, just kind of to continue on with, with the way my season kind of works out, uh, from, the madness that is October into November, I got a, a deer license up here this year, but that's also my favorite month to hunt pheasants. Um, personally, if I was going to come to North Dakota to hunt pheasants uh, and focus on pheasants, it'd be October um, and preferably late October when you get a little bit of snow on the ground. Um, but this year I'll be hunting some deer. And then I think I'm going to try to zip over to my, uh, Minnesota and go do some rough grouse hunting with our buddy, Nick Larson. Um, I'm back here for the last week of November for pheasant camp. And then the, about the 4th or 5th of December, I'm heading down to Arizona, um, usually with a stop in South Dakota, a stop in Kansas along the way, uh, and, and doing some hunting down there. But I'm down in Arizona all of December and most of January, if not all of January, chasing Mern's quail, scale quail, and gambles. So my, the way that I've been planning my season for the last couple of years is basically a September 1 through January 31st season. So when we started trying to figure out how to make our season a little bit longer this year, uh, we had to start trying to figure out seasons that were open after the end of January or before September 1st. So the one that really kind of piqued my attention and that we've been talking about now for a couple of years um, is hunting ptarmigan up in Alaska because ptarmigan opens up in early to mid-August. 
And so it's just a way for us to make our season even longer than it already has been. And chase a bird that I've never chased before in a place that I've never been to before. The flush. So fast, it hardly seems real. So vivid, the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we change the way upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive flight control FlexWad technology and a mix of copper-plated lead and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strings through any choke. Longer shots, more power, fewer missed birds. Only from Federal. I love my dog, and like you, I always want to make sure that she has what she needs to stay healthy year-round and perform at her best in the field. That's why I feed Daisy Nutrisource high-performance dog food. Nutrisource dog food comes with their good-for-life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well-being of our dogs. I have complete confidence that my dog has all of the nutrition to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. I've seen it firsthand, and she loves her food. Take it from me and my dog, Daisy. Nutrisource high-performance dog food can help your dog reach their full potential. Find the food that's right for your dog at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Everything about the the views in Alaska's ptarmigan country are just stunning. Um, it is a place that's been on my bucket list. There's a couple places on my list that the top two that I've wanted to go to are Alaska and Hawaii, mm. uh, opposite ends of the spectrum, but beautiful in their own ways. Uh, hunting in the tundra up in Alaska, hunting on volcanoes in Hawaii. Um, I'm with you, man. I, I think that there's, you know, just like you're, you're trying to get as much out of each season as you can, but I think that's you look at the bigger picture of life, why wouldn't you want to maximize it and get the most out of life? Anything that you can do, if you can do it, uh, you're doing it, I would say on, you know, like an extreme level, yeah. a lot of people <laughs> would fly up there, right. hire an outfitter, but you're, you're going up and you, you are hunting with some locals up yeah. there, Evan and Eric, uh, that, you know, they, they go hunt public lands and they, drive to places and they hike and, um, you know, but you're driving all the way up there with your dogs. So yeah, explain kind of what your plan is on this journey. Well, so that the planning of this thing has started, we, we kind of set it in stone a year ago. We said, okay, we're going. Um, it was last end of last August. We were up in Northwest Montana and I was talking about it with a couple of my traveling buddies that you got to meet last year down in Arizona, uh, Terry and Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce has got the, the full, uh, sister to your dog, uh, little Roxy and, and then your dog, Daisy. Spoiler um, alert. You're going to meet Bruce and Terry yeah. on the flush episode coming up in a few weeks. It's we're gonna, I, I, I can't wait to see that one. I I'm hoping that you send me an advanced copy. So that way we can do a screening at the uh, Stanley theater. Like we have in the past. Cause that's kind of fun. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, they, they, yes. They put it right on the marquee in downtown Stanley. The flush. I want to come out for that, by the way. It'd be I, fun, I, man. Yeah. Well, we, next year, after we do the episode that you and I are going to do in October, uh, we'll have a, a, you know, we'll have a big meet and greet or something. You can come out and we'll do a trap shoot or something. It'd be pretty fun. Do you think we could run one of our episodes at the theater in October when we're out there and go watch it? Yeah, definitely. My that's a, Travis, oh, gosh, we can do whatever we want. My friends own the <laughs> you're place. The, you're the mayor. <laughs> you're the mayor, I, of Stanley. 
I did actually get a few votes uh, this year. <laughs> did in you June. Really? Yeah, uh, but it was all my idiot friends who were voting for me uh, as uh, as I was the protest vote. I was the protest candidate. Uh, <laughs> Everything in town would would be Hungarian partridge, yes, sharp yes. gross, or pheasant I would, related. I would put a moratorium on mowing your grass in your yard <laughs> right away because we need to improve that habitat in town. Uh, that's that's my that's 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 my uh, my stump speech right there. Uh, oh my but, goodness! So we've been we've been planning this for over a year, and I'll tell you that it's been way different than any other trip that I've ever planned. Um, obviously. Going from North Dakota to Alaska is is a is an epic thing in and of itself, but the logistics and the planning that it takes to put something like this together has been way more than what I what I would have ever expected. So why is that? What do you mean by that? Well, it's a forty nine hour drive each way. Um, mm-hmm. We're driving. Um, we're pu- we're in a pickup pulling a, a trailer. So now we got to try to figure out a gear list. Um, that what we, kind of trailer are you pulling? Is it a dog box? Uh, no, actually we're pulling an Aluma trailer. Uh, thank good you very much. Good for you. Good yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, see how we just tied all that in there. There um, you go. But we got to have, uh, dog kennels in there. We got to have a little bit of a redundant gear list because we're, you know, we want to make sure that we're not up there with a, a shotgun that breaks or a, uh-huh. um, a pair of boots that, that go out on you or, you know, anything else because it can be, it looks like it's only a few inches from Anchorage to Fairbanks on a map, uh, but it's a nine-hour drive, uh, <laughs> and there's nothing in between. So, I mean, like, you have to make sure that you have basically two of everything, but you also don't want to overpack because space is limited, right? Yeah. Then comes the problems of actually crossing an international border with guns and dogs, which is a thing. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but they're not quite as, as, uh, you know, it's not quite like crossing into the Mont into Montana from North Dakota. It's a little different. <laughs> it is. So, you know, you got to make sure you got all your, all your forms in order. You got to make sure you, you know, you got to bring ammo, the required the, enough ammo, but not over the limit. You got to yep. have your vaccine records for your dogs going to and from Canada this year. You have to have the vac- vaccine records for yourself. Um, you have to be double vaccinated. And I think that that goes until at least September 30th. And then if they'll see if they're going to extend it or not. So you got to make sure you got all that. You got to have all this stuff in order just to get into the first leg of the trip. Then you have a three day drive across all of, all of Alberta and British Columbia, which I am probably as excited about just seeing that country as I am about actually getting up to Alaska and hunting. Uh, we're going to, the first night, first leg of the trip, we're stopping in Banff and, in, in, uh, El, on the Alberta, British Columbia border. Um, we got a, a campsite there and then just kind of on up into the, into the great wild, uh, Northwest. But, you know, it's, we've been trying to plan trips. There was a road that washed out on the uh, Alaskan Canadian, uh, Canada highway because a, no kidding, a beaver dam washed out. And this must've been one heck of a beaver because it knocked out an entire road. Uh, like one of the only roads to get up there. Thankfully they have a detour set up already. But I mean, so we've been dealing with that. Then uh, the United States imposed a ban on importing um, wild game birds across the international border. Uh, for worries of the bird flu pandemic and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So we've been trying to figure out how we can do that because we're technically coming from America to America. 
but we have to drive through another country in between. So we've been dealing with, it's just been, it's been way crazier than any other trip that I've ever planned. I mean, it's going to end up being, we're going to put 10,000 miles on the pickup and it's going to be just madness. Do you think there's a way, um, there are some stations that, you know, like I, I'm from Minnesota to get to the, um, there's, there's a little, little chunk of land on the Northwest angle on Lake of the Woods. And you have to drive if you want to get there by vehicle, uh, you drive through a, a small station and they call in. There's a little, it looks like a fish house in the woods and you, mm-hmm. it's, it's basically, I'm, it's right on the border. So you call in and say, I'm entering, uh, back into America, into Minnesota. And then they know, they say, okay, when are you coming back out? So they have you kind of written down as to when they anticipate you coming back out. And then when you get back onto shore, then you call and then you have this hour and a half drive back through Canada and then into America into Minnesota again. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, and I don't know this, I'm just thinking out loud, but because you're going up there with game birds, the possession, you know, you're going from America to America, you're just driving right. through. If you, if they know of your plans, will they allow you then to bring your birds back through? Well, here's where the problem lies with that, is that I'm guessing, and I have read every word of that thing, and it doesn't say anything about bringing birds from Alaska to America or to the U.S. to the lower yeah. 48. I, I mean, I believe this rule was written for obviously for waterfowl hunters with waterfowl hunters in mind. Uh, upland game birds aren't a huge transmitter of avian flu because they don't—they're so localized; they don't migrate. Obviously, um, I think we're just going to try to eat them all. Uh, I think think that's our play. Uh, uh, The good news is is that uh, one of our uh, mutual buddies, Hank Shaw, is going to be flying up to Fairbanks to meet me on part of the trip. Oh, nice. So that's going to be delicious. Yeah. So, I mean, if if I mess it up for the first couple days, I'm sure that I can get a good lesson from Hank and we can just make up a whole bunch of birds and then eat it for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise... Uh, we're going to try to, you know, eat as much of it as we can while we're there, obviously. And then if we need to, I know for sure that it it should actually, I don't know for sure. I'm guessing, uh, it should be legal to freeze birds, like vacuum seal them and freeze them Mm -hmm. and then put them in food containers and ship them down to the U S. So if Mm -hmm. we have to do that, I mean, you can do it with fish. I can't imagine that you can't do it with birds. Right. So if we we have to do that, I mean, that, that, that's a workaround that we'll have to come up with if we, you know, if it push comes to shove, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's a problem to be fair. Like I'm hoping that we have so many birds that we can't eat them all. And then mm-hmm. we have to try to figure out how to get them back home. Sorry, go ahead. I, I just, a story popped into my head, but oh, finish go yours. Ahead. Go ahead. No, well, no, when no. I first, when I first started coming out to North Dakota with my high school buddies, we would hunt ducks in the morning mm-hmm. and then pheasants in the afternoon. And if you had a good shoot, you could have, I believe it's two days of a possession limit, and then you were out of space. And if you wanted to keep hunting, you had to keep eating. Mm-hmm. So we came up with the craziest ways to eat as many ducks as you could possibly stuff in your stomach yep. every single day. And I'm just envisioning you guys like, okay, how yeah. many ptarmigan per person <laughs> yeah, right. before we can go hunting right. again? I mean, it's, uh, you know, and the real problem is that you could shoot like 15 of them a day or something like that. Yeah, so, the limits I mean, are high. Yeah. And 
I don't necessarily plan on on shooting limits when I'm up there because we're going to be a long ways off the road. And I don't necessarily want to carry 15 ptarmigan out of the backcountry. Right? Yeah. I mean, like you're talking about some serious weight then, you know, you're talking a couple pounds a piece and and plus water and guns and shells and everything else. All of a sudden you're on a bird hunt with a 40 pound pack, <laughs> you know, hiking out five, six miles. So I, you know, if I shoot three or four a day, I'd be very happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one thing that is always a crowd pleaser that you can definitely do with ptarmigan just like you can do with anything else is fajitas. Uh, and you can eat up a lot of birds with fajitas. I'm telling you a little bit of McCormick's, uh, and Hank, if he listens to this, he's absolutely going to kill me, but a little (laughs) bit of McCormick's, uh, fajita sauce, uh, the, the seasoning packets and put them suckers in a pan on and Oh, Oh, it's so good. <laughs> just um, you know, <laughs> Fry it oh, over right. an open. You can eat them right Absolutely. there in the field. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I don't even weight. care if you have. Yeah. You don't even necessarily have to have tortillas. I mean, you could just eat that stuff just plain. It's excellent. Mm-hmm. But I'm, yeah. I'm sure that we're probably going to come up with some more creative ways other than that. But I'm, I think we'll be able to get most of them down the hatch. How many days are you going to hunt up in Alaska? Well, we're leaving here from North Dakota on August 5th. Um, We have to be in Anchorage on the 10th uh, to pick up Bruce's wife. Uh, This is how he sold it to her, which is brilliant. By the way, all you married men take notes. Uh, He said, hey, honey, I want to take a month-long hunting trip. Uh, And she said, wait, what? And he said, well, part of it's to Alaska, and you can fly up there and meet us. And she's like, oh, okay. So uh, that's how we sold it. And it worked great. So she flies in on the 10th. They rent an RV uh, the morning of the 11th. We're going to do some fishing for a couple days. And we're actually going to start hunting on the uh, 14th, either late in the afternoon of the 13th or the 14th. And we're going to spend three or four days uh, hunting over there with with Eric and and hopefully Evan. And then Locker, Evan Withrow. Yeah. And then we're going to head up to Fairbanks. And um, I'm going to be meeting Hank Shaw up there. He's going to be flying in on the morning of the 17th. Uh, we're going to hunt until the 21st. So the rest of the day on the 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, and a good chunk of the day on the 21st before he flies back out. And then we're going to work our way back over to the Kenai and do some more hunting and fishing over there. Uh, it's a pink salmon year. So I'm really excited to go up there and do some salmon fishing as well. Cause, uh, Let's be real honest. On a trip like that, um, the first trip of the year, our legs are absolutely, even though I've been trying my best to, to get them into shape, you know, you only have so many 15-mile days in you in, uh, in, in, in those, the, the big country up there. Uh, and me and the dogs are going to be a little bit tired, so it's going to be kind of nice to have some other distractions like chasing salmon down in the rivers. Mm-hmm. And the other uh, limiting factor a little bit on this one is that I'm still going to be a dog down. CJ is not going to make the trip up to Alaska with me. Um, she's doing very well. Uh, she's had her cast off now for about three weeks or so. Um, she still has a little slight limp, but she's been running around the yard a little bit and she's starting to build her strength back up, but she's not going to be ready to make a trip like that. And I certainly don't want to get her up there and then just have to have her ride in the kennel for, you know, weeks and not really be able to get out and stretch her legs like I want her to. So she's going to stay here in North Dakota. So I'm going to have a a nine-year-old Rusty uh, who will turn nine on the trip. Uh, I'm going to have Bo the Wonder Dog, and then Bruce is going to have Roxy the the Fur Missile Junior. Uh, (laughs) And so we're going to have just three dogs plus what what you know what Evan and Eric have. So we're going to have to kind of take a built-in day off here and there, also just because dogs are going to be worn out. I thought just popped into my mind. Oh, what's that? Daisy. Yeah. Yeah. Daisy. I like Daisy. She could ride with. 
Oh my goodness. She's curled yeah. up over here right right on their little bed right now. Oh my goodness. We'll talk. We'll, we'll uh, yeah, continue I was, this. I was going to say, okay. I, wonder, I wonder how fast I can undo all that dog training you and George Lyle did, because I'm pretty sure I could unravel that little dog in about three minutes. <laughs> well, the thing is that, uh, the, so wild birds and just the numbers that you've put over them can yeah. really um, be so helpful to any young dog. And, you know, I want to get her on as many wild birds as I possibly can, you know, just the mm -hmm. repetition over and over and over and over again. Hmm. Okay. I, well, I, don't, well, I, I don't necessarily know that uh, Alaska is going to be a good place for dog training yeah, just because there's so true. much of that visual stimulus up there. Yeah. Um, you know, the big wide open spaces where the birds, the dogs can see the birds flying away forever. And also, uh, I don't know how many of the videos you've watched that Eric and those guys have posted online, but a lot of times those dogs could see those birds sitting on the ground and <laughs> yeah. then you get the, st the added stimulus of them trying to get up and walk away before they fly. I don't think it's going to be necessarily the best place to work All on right. steady. All right, we'll move dog. on. What are you uh, most excited? <laughs> what are you most looking forward to in the hunt for ptarmigan itself? Because like you said, the birds are kind of, you know, like they have a reputation for being dumb, but you still have to find them. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, it's not even necessarily so much about the bird. It's about the place. Mm -hmm. um, I've never been to Alaska at all. And so doing it this way, you know, kind of chasing this uh, this upland season and, and making it more and more epic every year and getting to do this trip in that place with my friends and my dogs, like that was a big thing for me. I mean, obviously, it would have been a lot cheaper for us to fly up there but I don't want to fly my dogs and uh, I don't want to hunt over somebody else's dogs. Mm -hmm. So um, the birds are going to be a little bit secondary to me. It's just going to be trying to take it all in being in the grandeur of, of, you know, one of the last great places in the world and uh, just trying to stop every couple of minutes and look around and be like, yeah, man, I'm actually <laughs> like, I'm here, I'm doing this. <laughs> uh, and uh, the birds are obviously going to be going to be pretty special, but I'll tell you, the second part of our trip, I'm just as excited about as I am about about Alaska. And then the the last leg of our trip is I'm even more excited about than that. So well, um, what are they? I mean, well, don't, it's going to stop holding back. Where are you well, going? I'm gonna, so. All right. So the first leg of the trip is going to be a couple weeks in Alaska. We're leaving here on the 5th and we're leaving up there to head back down to the States on the 26th. So we're going to be up there for about 21 days, including drive time. So we're actually only going to be in Alaska for 11 or 12 days. Then from there, we're road tripping down the West Coast to Oregon, uh, where I'm going to meet up with a uh, buddy who you've had on your podcast as well, Mr. Nate Akey. Oh, and yeah. we're going to uh, go hunting for mountain quail, which is on my list mm. as well. Um, I've never got to hunt them. I've never seen one. Uh, I plan on... Uh, quote unquote, autobonding the first one I ever see where I'm just going to whack it. And then I'm going to go up there and try to admire how pretty it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, like, there's no, there's no video. Like, I, I mean, I've, I've tried to look up hunting videos on, on mountain quail and they basically don't exist. So, um, I'm very much looking forward to that. Plus again, Nate's a buddy of mine. It's always nice to get a, a chance to stop and hunt with him. And then I think he's actually going to We've talked about it. He's been on my podcast in the last month or so. He's going to follow us back across Montana, um, where we have this uh, tradition now for the last three years of doing the Montana Grouse Slam. So we do the spruce grouse, blue grouse, rough grouse, sage grouse, and sharp tails. 
And so that's going to be the final leg of our trip, kind of hunting our way back from the West Coast. And then we're going to end here at my place the day before season starts for Sharp Tails and Hunts here for North Dakota residents. Which is so, when? Uh, it's September 11th? It's, I think it's the 10th. Um, 10th yeah. yeah, it's always the second Saturday in September. So we're going to be back here about nine o'clock at night, the night before, just in time to get the trailer unloaded, uh, get a good night's sleep, and then get up and get after the sharp tails and huns here in my backyard in the morning. So it's going to be the whole trip itself is going to be a little bit over a month long, um, but we're going to be hunting in uh, in three different states and uh, passing through another sovereign nation. <laughs> so. <laughs> It's amazing to me that you have the ability to do this. I think that's the biggest thing. Anybody listening right now would say, I would give almost anything to be able to just take a month and a half off from from yeah. life, from work, from whatever it is that's going on and just saying, I'm going to, first of all, have the funds to do it, right. to be able to go do it. Um, yeah, have, you yeah. have you calculated what you anticipate the expense to be on this kind of a, adventure? No, no, I, I don't. I don't even want to think about it at all. Uh, I'm just gonna. Uh, I'm just gonna hope that my credit card keeps keeps on saying accepted, uh, and then uh, deal with the consequences afterwards. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, we could have picked a better year with the gas prices because uh, driving uh, mm -hmm. three thousand miles each way from here to Alaska and then all the way back across, it's going to be a ten thousand mile trip pulling a trailer. You know, running uh, you know a nice solid eleven, twelve miles per gallon, hopefully. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and Bruce's eco boost, I'm hoping that we make 11 or 12. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be very expensive, but I'll tell you, um, my, my point of view really kind of got changed here a few years ago when the first time you and I met, we, uh, you came up here to North Dakota and we were filming a, a TV show with my, my friend Craig. And after that whole experience of watching somebody in their mid forties go through, um, brain cancer and eventually passing away from it, uh, at a young age, I, between that, the fact that I have the time and I have the desire to go and do this stuff. And there's so many other people out there that don't, I feel a real duty, I guess is kind of a weird way to put it, but like, it's like my grandpa never got to do this stuff. I get to do this stuff. Craig never got to make a trip like that. Well, I can make it, you know, and, you know, so it's, it's kind of one of those things that I kind of feel, uh, I feel some weird desire to keep on pushing myself a little bit more because I can do it and because a lot of other people can't. So it's, it's almost like, you know, if I have the means to do it and I have the time, time is definitely more important to most people than the money. Uh, mm -hmm. and I have an abundance of time. So I kind of feel like I not only do I want to do it, but I kind of have to. Yeah. Well, are you going to um, kind of document this journey in any way? I feel like we have we could yeah. make a full a full season of our TV show just yeah. by going on this one month and a half long journey. Yeah. And maybe that's the idea for a future television show that we could produce. Um, right. You know, well, just, I mean, hopefully we're going to end up with uh, between eight and ten different species of birds on this trip. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, hunting in a lot of different locations with a lot of different people for a lot of different kinds of birds is, uh, you know, it would make, yeah, I mean, we'll talk. No, uh, but yeah, I am, I am going to be uh, documenting it a little bit. Um, I've, uh, I remember the first time you and I hunted together, you said, if you ever feel the desire to start your own TV show, call me and I'll talk you out of it. 
uh, and then I made this. <laughs> I, 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 I made. I made make of actually getting pulled that way a little bit. And I called you and sadly you did not talk me out of it. Uh, so um, I've kind of had this this thought in my mind that uh, for several years now that one of the things that I personally would like to watch on TV is more of the road trip style, like kind of like when you guys do the rooster road trips, kind of like that, but just kind of a DIY uh, sort of an experience. So I decided to buy mm-hmm. a camera and uh, I, I have this, this huge desire to film my dogs and I've been wearing a GoPro for a few years and the GoPros are awesome, but they can only get you so far. Like you can't take in the grandeur of a place like Alaska on a GoPro, even, even as awesome as they are, it just doesn't do it justice. So, um, it's going to be kind of learning on the fly, trying to figure all this stuff out, but, uh, I'm, I'm really just excited to kind of document my whole season, just kind of show, everybody some of the things that i know i want it to be fun i want it to be entertaining but uh i want to i want everybody to be able to kind of follow along with the adventure kind of in real time because it's going to be one of those crazy seasons where it's going to be alaska oregon montana north dakota north dakota north dakota uh (laughs) minnesota maybe uh probably south dakota nebraska probably michigan and then down to arizona for for quail season Um, so, I mean, there's going to be a lot of stuff there. There's going to be, I want to kind of do some, uh, how to stuff. Like I, there are certain things that I know from being a hunter and, you know, from being a hunter for a long time that a lot of the new people don't know, you know, things like how to approach a dog standing on point. Uh, I, I struggle with that one, even with people that have hunted before. It's like, okay, the dog's on point. Don't stop walking, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Like, Don't do so like I, I did and try to get my phone out to capture the quail that I can see yeah, on the ground. And, that turned out pretty like good, it. man. I, I know. I saw, like, I, we yeah. break a lot of rules on that side of it because we're trying to capture elements so that right. other people can see it from that right. perspective. But yeah, I hear you there. But, um, you know, and on top to of that, that, I mean, we had, uh, I, I don't know if that's going to end up making the show or not. I hope it does. But, uh, we had such an epic day that day anyways. It didn't really matter if we filmed that covey or not. <laughs> it really right. didn't. I mean, it was like that was just kind of gravy on top at that point. And, uh, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see how that one turns out. Uh, and I'm, you know, pretty glad that you didn't get bit by a rattlesnake. So Extremely. Yes, extremely. I'm excited for you to see all of the footage. I've got some incredible stuff that I've, sh- I've held back from you because I just. Nice. I feel like it. You have to wait. You just got to wait because yeah. when it's all put together, it's it's worth the wait on something like that. Yeah, um, you know, is sure. is like documenting it, uh, it. There's there's kind of like a couple different thoughts that I've had on what to show and how to show it because yeah. um, it's really hard to accurately explain how you're going about hunting a piece of property without right. showing that piece, of, piece property. of property. Right. And then when you show that property, if you have success, now everyone's like, I know exactly, exactly where to go. And yeah. that can be a little bit dangerous too. You know, hot spotting is a term that gets used a lot. People can rip us apart for showing too much. But then there's so many people that are like, would you show more of the how to? I want to learn. Yeah. I want to come alongside you. But it's it's not like fishing in that you can really dissect a reef on a lake and explain how you're going to attack it. But then right. there's a you know like 
I don't know. I mean, I, I struggle. I don't know. How do you feel about well, what you can show? And because you can't just say, this is how I would go do it and show, you know, a piece of property a thousand miles away and right. have that at, be real useful information. If you're right. showing it, you're showing it and that's yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, so I have weird problems with, with, uh, the, the hot spotting thing. So, I mean, obviously I don't like show, I, I won't show exact areas. Um, but depending on like up in Alaska, I'm not going to necessarily probably do any of that because I'm not going to be hunting my spots. I honestly don't have any problem with hot spotting my spots because, um, whatever film I do on, on pieces of land that I hunt on, um, some of it's posted and I have access to it because I've cultivated a lot of, uh, relationships over the years. So I'd have no problem, uh, mm -hmm. showing us something on a, on a spot like that. Or if it's in my own backyard, uh, there's so much of it that, I mean, one of my best sharp tail spots, uh, I haven't hunted it in five years. Um, because it's, it's a little bit of a drive and I don't really need to go there because I have 20 other ones between here and there that are all really good also. So there's so much of it here. I don't have any problem with, with, uh, showing a, an Onyx thing and, and kind of showing what I'm doing on a piece of property that, that is a spot that I found, but mm -hmm. I definitely won't do that on somebody else's spots. Um, but you know, I think that some part of the appeal to me is that, with us doing the podcast and then having that overlaying visual aspect to it as well, like we can try to dig into things um, in the podcast verbally, but there's some things that you won't actually be able to understand unless you see it. Mm -hmm. So there's stuff that you and I know how to do because we've been hunting for so long that it's just kind of like we don't even necessarily think about it. It's, it's subconscious. It's just like automatic, right? Like if a dog's walking, if a dog's, standing point at a Russian olive bush, you don't walk right up behind the dog. You walk around the other side of the damn bush. Mm -hmm. That's something that we know to do because we know the birds and we know how dogs work, uh, that some people who are just starting, they don't understand that. So, uh, when you can kind of, I don't always remember to stop if I'm in the field with somebody and say, okay, make sure you walk around the other side because those birds are going to be feeling the pressure of that dog and they're going to try to get out and they're going to try to get something between you and them. And they also don't like flying over top of a dog. Uh, so it kind of narrows down where the birds are going to be trying to escape at. I don't think about saying that verbally. I just do it. And so people mm -hmm. are always like, how do you get so many good shots? It's like, well, because I know where to stand. Like it, 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 it's, it's, not, it's not a secret. It's just spending endless numbers of days in the field and knowing how the birds are going to react to the pressure of the dogs and the wind and the cover and all that kind of stuff. I just kind of have an idea of where those birds are at and where they're going to be going. And so we can kind of describe that verbally on the podcast and then show people in video form it actually being put into practice in the field. Um, you know, I think that there's going to be a lot of benefit to people just getting to see and hear uh, what we're doing. Yeah, definitely. Hunting season is just around the corner, and that means it's time to start planning. If you're looking for a great bird hunting destination this fall, then I strongly recommend that you consider one of my favorite places to hunt. That's North Dakota. North Dakota is a bird hunter's paradise. You can hunt both waterfowl and upland birds all in the same day. And North Dakota has approximately 700,000 acres of private land open to public walk-in hunting. 
This year, North Dakota has a population estimate of 3.4 million breeding ducks, which is 38% above the long-term average, and their prey pothole region is smack dab in the middle of the central flyway. Their spring water index also came way up, over 600% from last year's drought. Habitat on the landscape looks great, and I'm hearing reports of a strong hatch from their upland birds. With a little scouting, you just might find yourself in a field surrounded by wild flushing pheasants, sharp-tailed grouse, and Hungarian partridge. Start planning your fall hunt in North Dakota at legendarynd.com. If you're an outdoor lover on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you want to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma trailers tow like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I use it on every hunt, seriously, every hunt. Their app tells me everything I need to know about the lands that I want to hunt and the lands that we can all legally hunt on. The app also shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state land or federal lands or walk-in access properties. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during a hunt to help put together patterns. The app also has helpful features that show you the kind of crops that are in fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. And there's a timber cut layer to help you find the right forest habitat for rough grouse. If you hunt in North Dakota, there's even a layer that lets you know if a property has been posted electronically. These are just a few of the many tools Onyx apps give you. And these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx maps always help you to know where you stand. Uh, I think the hard thing to really relay, whether video or podcast, is what's going through your mind when you're trying to figure out where you're going to go. And then when you get there, where you're going to hunt. Yeah. When I, when I show up, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, well, that's where I need to go. Because right. I'm looking at, you know, the, the rolling train or the thick cover or whatever it might be or crops nearby. Like you just, you can drive a, around a, a giant piece and be like, we got to start here. Like it just, mm-hmm. in my mind, that's what I tell myself. And then you, you play the wind, obviously, and how you want to approach that. But, yeah. but, you know, like the state of Montana, the state of Alaska. I mean, they're massive, right. massive places. You need to get within, you need to, you need to pick your region. You know, what... When you're making these road trips, um, just to kind of like get people thinking for their own journeys, how do you pick where you want to go? So for me, it's always been based on this list of all the upland game bird species in the country, right? So I I, I want to I, I do eventually want to check off the entire list minus the um, Himalayan thunder chicken, whatever Himalayan snowcock. You're not yeah, going to get I, one. Unless you're going to let me shoot it with a 17 HMR off of a, a rest. No, I have no desire to do that. Um, I, you can't really hunt them with dogs. I, I So therefore, I don't, I'm out. Um, if my dogs can't point it safely and I can't shoot it with a shotgun, uh, even turkeys uh, out of the air. Uh, you're, well, I, I, you're, you're a lethal hunter, Tyler, and you shoot yeah. turkeys without your dogs there. So I know you have it in you that there's... 
I'll be curious when you come back from Alaska after climbing mountains and you yeah. realize that you did it, you accomplished it. I'll be curious if you still feel the same way because yeah. I, I have, I still have that snowcock on my list too, to say, I haven't done it yet. I'm not, I, you know, I, I obviously climbed 14,000 feet after Ptarmigan in Colorado. I feel like whatever distance I need to go in addition to that or whatever terrain, it's like, I think I can do it. I know I can do it. I just have to make that happen. So it's on my list. Anyway, keep yeah. going. So, uh, I, I, the only birds that I have left, uh, that I have not gotten are the ptarmigan species, valley quail, chucker, and mountain quail. So this year, the plan is to get the ptarmigan, the mountain quail, and maybe there's going to be a little wiggle room for chucker at the end of the season in February if uh, if I'm still alive by then. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll see. And then that'll just leave the, the valley quail. Um, the thing that's going to make it a little bit harder this year is that I'm going to try to do all of them with 410. So it's going to be a little bit uh, harder even still then I, I kind of have a feeling that if I do get to try to hunt chucker with um, anything, I'm probably not going to try to do that with 410 right away. <laughs> I'm probably going to want to get some on the ground. Uh, because I, even though I, I like uh, the, the challenge, I also want to put some on the ground and be successful. <laughs> yeah. 410s are a little tricky. Um, but so I have that's where I start, though, is my list. So once you look at what you have left on the list and you look at the states that host the birds that you're trying to get, then my first, so that's kind of the, the, where the plan kind of starts to take form. Then from there, I start paying attention to the things that you, a guy needs to pay attention to, whether it's rainfall or if they've had a hard winter or whatever it might be. Then I start making some phone calls to the game and fish biologists of, of said state, um, trying to figure out what I'm looking for as far as uh, habitat you know, just trying to get some general information from the biologist, whether uh, like if it's sharp tails or sage grouse or whatever, I'm trying to get a little bit of an idea in my brain of what the, the bubble in which they want to live in is going to look like. Then uh, I'm probably going to spend a little bit of time sleuthing around on uh, social media, trying to find pictures of those birds and then trying to talk to the people who took those pictures. Um, that's kind of the nice thing about social media. I know a lot of people really, you know, talking about hot spotting and stuff like that, say that social media is going to be the downfall of hunting. Uh, I do not believe that at all. Uh, some of my best friends that I hunt with every single year now have come from social media and from the podcast. Um, I think that it's a wonderful tool, um, and trying to make those connections. And obviously I have something that I can, uh, repay the favor with as well. So, uh, you know, that's kind of the nice thing about swapping hunts. Um, somebody wants to come up here and hunt with me in North Dakota. I go to Oregon and hunt, uh, chuckers with them and their spots. You know, it's kind of this nice symbiotic kind of relationship. So, uh, I try to get some local knowledge, um, and then a lot of times I'll just ask for a spot on the map, like a town, um, what, if it's in Montana or whatever, just like direct me to a town, uh, you know, pick it wherever you wanted to go to. And then I'll try to go out and figure it out on my own um, from there, just off of what I figured out. And my general rule of thumb is it's it's a two to three day learning curve on almost every new species and sometimes more. Uh, you have to have some success before you can start trying to figure out where you went wrong and where you went right. And sometimes going to a new state, it takes a long time to have that first success. But once you do stop 
in your tracks the first time you encounter birds in a new state and just take a look around like 360 degrees, look down at the ground, uh, look at what those birds got up out of, look at what, uh, those, what time of the day it was, were they feeding, were they loafing? Check um, the crop. Check the crop. I mean, like that first contact, if you are, if you're an, a, a good bird hunter, that first contact should give you enough information to start trying to replicate the success. Occasionally we can get fooled by randomness, but it doesn't happen very often. Usually those birds are pretty, uh, you know, they're going to be sitting in a place for a reason and you're going to have that success. And then you can start looking for more spots like that, that look like that and trying to replicate. Um, so that's kind of my process. Usually if I have a five day hunt, if I'm going to be in, Oklahoma for five days chasing bobwhites, the first couple of days, you're kind of going to spend getting your butt kicked. But by day three, you should be able to start figuring out a pattern. And if you haven't got it figured out by day four, you either need to like, either you're in an area with very, very low bird numbers, or, um, you know, there's something totally wrong and you need to kind of just sit back and, and reflect and figure out what you, you know, you've been walking the same kind of cover and not finding birds, then you probably need to go someplace else. Mm. Um, but that's kind of my process on going to a new place. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's great information. And I think day three is, you know, I look back at all of our trips, even when we go places, you know, that, well, if I hunt with you, <laughs> it's, all, it's <laughs> like, it's always just going to be, you know, an explosion of birds is what I've learned. But, well, uh, you know, but, I, you know, but a lot of that though has come from a lot of, a lot, a lot of really hard work. Like what we did down in mm -hmm. Arizona last year, um, the first year we were down there, we hunted for five days and we found a covey of Mern's quail and a covey of Gamble's quail in five days. Um, we were hunting in a, uh, a year where bird numbers were down. We spent a lot of time up in the mountains walking in precisely the wrong kind of cover and somehow ended up stumbling onto one poor covey of Mern's quail. Mm -hmm. um, and so that first trip, we got very little information, but the information we got was enough for a place to start. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was like year three before we really got it dialed in down there. Uh, and I mean, because it's so far away, you go down there for a week, the first time and a week, the second time, the second time you do better than the first, the third time you, it's kind of like, you know, I had it pretty well dialed by the time you got down there last year, even though I was pretty nervous, I almost told you not to come. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. It was fantastic. It, it always is fantastic. Even if we wouldn't have gotten into it, half the birds that we saw, it would have been worth it. And that's why yeah. I tell people, even if the reports come out from your state, your area, your favorite hunting location, wherever that might be around the country, if the reports aren't as good as you want them to be, don't stay home. No, it's not, it's never gonna, it's never gonna dictate whether I go or not. It's just something mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a, it's a welcome distraction during a time of the year where bird hunters need a welcome distraction. I mean, uh, I love fishing and I love doing other things as well, but my world and life revolves around bird hunting and they could come out and say that, you know, there's one pheasant left in, in North Dakota. Uh, well, I'm going to go and try to find that one pheasant. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, I mean, I, that's not, you know, I, whether it's for the dogs or for myself, whatever it is, uh, the reports aren't going to dictate uh, if I'm going to go hunting. It might dictate where I'm going to go hunting. Uh, you know, I might just shift my focus a little bit, you know, like this year, if you're planning a trip to western Kansas for pheasants and bobwhites, 
maybe this is a year that you look for a different spot up in, you know, in Nebraska or mm-hmm. South Dakota, you know, or wherever Oklahoma. it might be. Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, th- you're never going to have a year where birds across the board are going to be bad. It doesn't seem like there's always going to be those those hidden gems. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, you know, it's just about managing your expectations. You know, if, if you're going to a new place and you've never been there before chasing a different species of birds that you've never chased, you know, you need to have realistic expectations in your mind going into it and just say, hey, I just hope to get one or have a couple contacts or have a shot at one or whatever it might be. Um, because you very seldom are going to go out there on your first trip to a new place and a new bird species and knock it out of the park. I mean, it doesn't, it just doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. You, you don't trip over these things. They're, they're, they're tough. I think what could be also helpful is, you know, and I'm not going to tell people how to plan their own trips, but if, if they're wondering where to start, maybe yeah. you write down 10, your, your 10 things that you really want to do. Okay. Then you look at the list and say, all right, when do I need to be at this place, yeah. you know, and yeah. where is it specifically? And then you you notch one off each year or yeah. you can do one or two. And pretty soon you're going to look at that list and you're going to say, wow, I've learned a lot. I've been a lot of places. I've accomplished a lot. Um, these are what I would repeat. These are I would not, you know, and you become a very well-rounded hunter, but you have yeah. to start somewhere. So right. make a list, maybe, maybe Himalayan snowcock, they're not on the top of your list. <laughs> they don't have to be, but you know, maybe hunting trucker is, and yeah. maybe this is the year that you say, all right, I'm going to dedicate a week or 10 days or five days or whatever it might be to making that happen. And then you just start the planning process. You might be surprised to find out that what seemed daunting, uh, and very expensive isn't isn't as expensive. You know, maybe it is the gas. Maybe you, you fly, maybe not. I'm not sure what, where you live or where you want to go, but it, it can be, um, less expensive sometimes than a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, it's always going to be less expensive than a big game hunt, uh, because licenses are so, so inexpensive for the most Mm -hmm. part and, and everything's so accessible. Um, th- I get this question asked a lot and I, I do my, my best to answer every email and Instagram message and everything else that I get. Um, just like I You're know you guys the in the flush You're a man yeah. of the people. Yeah. Um, the, the first question, somebody will say, you know, I really want to start planning a trip. Um, my first question is always, well, okay. When, in when, what time frame of the year do you have to be able to make this trip? Because for a lot of people, they have dates that are set in stone for vacations, right? I mean, like they, you, you have to get these these dates in a long time. So if if you have a September, you know, time in September, then that's obviously going to be sharp tails and huns. Uh, if it's in October, it can be a, a little bit trickier. When it starts to get to be November and December, my focus is going to start shifting farther to the south because you can't count on the weather in the north and you might end up not being able to hunt for parts of your hunt. Um, just because the weather can be so bad that you, you can't, literally can't get out. So when is, is the first question that I always ask when somebody is, is trying to start planning a hunt and then it's what, you know, like if, if you have time in November, uh, you're probably not going to be looking at, at sharp tails, you know, so you can kind of knock that off the list right away. Uh, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, if you have, if you have time in January, it's probably not going to be for, for huns and pheasants, you know, it's going to be a quail hunt someplace down South. 
Uh, and then you can kind of start helping them drill down on some of those things, but it's, you know, it can be daunting, but, uh, it's also insanely exciting and it's something to keep our focus throughout the time of the year where we don't have anything else to do. So, you know, you spend all your time in the evening sitting on your phone anyways, why not be doing some scouting on Onyx? Uh, you know, you have a plan, a trip planned to North Dakota, uh, or Montana or whatever it might be. You know, you have that dot on the map, start putting some pins around that dot on the map where, you know, in areas that are public access, you know, access mm -hmm. land or block management or waterfall production area or state trust or whatever it might be. Start putting those pins and starting filling that stuff out, digging into the into the geography of of the online mapping software that's out there will save you so much money and gas when you get there and so much wasted time. Um, you know, you'll have, you'll have a good place to start. I had it happen last year when we were blue grouse hunting. Uh, I spent a bunch of time in May and June, just kind of sitting around on my phone, uh, trying to e-scout for the fall. And I was looking at my, my maps, uh, in an area that we hunt blue grouse in. And I was like, huh, okay, well this spot looks just like this spot. It's like a mile away. And I drop a pin. And so day two, we're up there blue grouse hunting and I decided to go and check this spot out. From the spot that I dropped my pin, from that spot, I moved blue grouse 30 feet from where I dropped that pin. 30 feet. Like, we were walking up to where that pin was at, and I saw my dog start tracking, getting a little bit birdie, and then <laughs> locked up on point. I think my dog was basically standing on my pin on Onyx. And That's amazing. Sure, like, I mean, because once you kind of start digging into the, in, in, into the how and why mm -hmm. birds are in a certain area, you can be pretty darn effective, uh, at, at, at e-scouting these things. And, you know, I just kind of got lucky. And then of course the next one I went to, I was really expecting to do well at and didn't see a damn bird and I hunted it for three <laughs> hours. So, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just kind of one of those things, but, uh, you know, it does give you something to do during the off season and gives you something to pay attention to. Well, and it keeps it fun too, when you don't succeed, Absolutely. I think, I mean, when you do and when you don't, that's, that's part of the hunt and it should be expected. I think it, let's yeah. wrap, let's wrap, wrap it up here by saying, the last thing that I would add to this is try to find a like-minded hunter that you can take this trip with. Now, yeah. there's nothing worse than planning your dream hunt and bringing somebody along that doesn't give a crap about it, doesn't appreciate it, doesn't want to be there as badly as you, doesn't want to invest the time to hike that extra thousand feet to the top of the mountain instead of the side that constantly holds you back, that constantly complains and just, it takes the fun out of a trip. I mean, you don't want that. If you're planning your hunts, you want to find somebody that you can go with. And I'm not saying that you want to ditch your friends and go find new ones. I, I guess I, I, I think you want to talk through expectations with somebody that you're planning beforehand so that you don't get there and realize that this person is not really interested in it, doesn't want to go through the hard work to get where you need to go. Um, but when you do have somebody, you know, like I love hunting with you, Tyler. I know you and I can hunt. We yeah. don't even have to say what we need to say. And we both are thinking it. When I hunt with George Lyle or Ben Bredigan, I mean, we're all the same way. Like I could go anywhere hunting grouse in the mountains, quail, whatever. And I have with all of you and we just look at each other and it's like, yep, we know the exact same thing and we're going 
and we're, we, we get her done. We make it yeah. happen. And it's fun to hunt with people like that. That's why I hope I can always hunt with you. And oh, when people sure. say, well, George is on the show again. Yeah. Cause I love hunting with them. I yeah. love it. I love everything yeah. about it. Same with Tyler. You know, I love hunting with you and it's fun because we share the passion. So if you, if you're going to plan one of these hunts, find somebody to share the passion with. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I like hunting, why I like hunting with you and Ben. And I haven't got to hunt with George yet, but he just texted me a couple days ago asking how birds were looking. Uh, so I'm guessing we were going to get a chance to hunt some together this year, but, uh, uh, I, I kind of break hunters down into two types of people, the people who want to know what's over the next hill and people who don't. Um, I tend to be drawn more so towards the people who want to find out what's over top of that next hill than the ones who want to stay close to the truck. Um, you know, and it's, it'd be really boring for them. Uh, if I want to go out and do a three hour long hunt, uh, someplace out here in the West and they only want to do a 30 minute hunt, then they got to sit back the truck. And likewise for me, it would be very, uh, it'd be very frustrating for me to have to, uh, feel the need to cut my, my hunt shorter than what I would like to, because they don't want to go as far as I do. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with either type. Um, you know, everybody gets into this game for different reasons. I personally uh, want to see what's over top of that next hill. And then usually it's another hill. And then usually there's <laughs> yeah. five or six after that. And uh, and it, it, it's getting close to dark and you're trying to figure out how the heck you're going to get back to the truck without a headlamp because we don't plan as bird hunters. Uh, but That's, yeah, that- I mean, like it, it really is a, a big key. I mean, if you want to... If you want to start a lot of fights with friends, uh, you know, if some of your friends want to go on a hunt, but they're not quite as hardcore hunter as you, you know, if you take a week long trip, you're going to start sniping at each other by the end of it, because one guy's going to be upset or had his expectations too high. And the other one's going to be mm-hmm. putting in all the work and getting all the success. So yeah, it, it really is a good point. Yeah. That's why above all, when you're planning a hunt with somebody, Talk through expectations. Talk Definitely. through expectations. I can't say it enough. Talk through expectations beforehand so you're on the same page. And I will, I'll close it by saying that that's why Daisy and I are a perfect fit because she wants to see what's over the next hill, the next mountain, just as badly as I do. And yep. that's why I love hunting with you, Tyler. Yeah, uh, for sure. Well, where can people follow your, your epic hunting journey this fall? Yeah. So it's going to be, uh, I mean, I'm going to be posting some videos. I'm going to be wearing, uh, GoPros as well as, uh, filming in 4k. So I'll have some clips off the GoPros that'll go up on Instagram. Like I do every season. Um, but I'm going to try to, my goal is to try to put out one, uh, 20 to 25 minute episode on YouTube every week throughout the entire hunting season. Um, you know, whether no matter where I'm at or what I'm doing, it's just going to be kind of following along with, uh, with, as Travis calls it, this, uh, this kind of sort of half, half ass DIY dream season. Um, you know, I mean, the dream season portion is, uh, is definitely there. The DIY, you know, I have a hard time saying it's DIY because I get a lot of help from a lot of, uh, podcast listeners and people off of social media. You know, I send, I, I, I'm very willing and happy to go hunting with other people and accept the help. Um, because I want to experience these things and there's nothing that's, there's no substitute to, to local knowledge, but, um, it's going to be on the YouTube channel on, uh, for now, I don't know if I'm going to name it something else yet. I've been really wrestling with that one for a while, but you can follow along with all the videos on the birds, booze and buds, uh, YouTube channel, uh, and then on, on Instagram. 
Gotcha. Well, you've got one subscriber and one follower for sure, because I'm going to be watching. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to see how it plays out. It's going to be uh, wild. It's going to be wild. I mean, you know, if nothing else, my my whole philosophy behind it is at least I'm going to always have videos of my dogs. So yeah. Uh, I, I want my dogs to be the, the star of the show. I could, I, like I told you last year down in Arizona, I'm, I'm, uh, very happy being a uh, guest star, but not necessarily super comfortable when the uh, camera lens is trained on me. So we'll see how this whole thing works out, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be enjoyable, entertaining, and probably a little educational. My dog is looking at me like she needs to go outside. So we're going to wrap <laughs> mine um, too. Yeah, Tyler, appreciate your time. Uh, Our episodes are airing right now on the Outdoor Channel, the television episodes, that is. And eventually, Tyler is going to be starring in one in a few weeks coming up. Uh, Every week from now through December, you can watch a new episode of the Flush television show. We travel across North America. Once again, we're doing that. We're planning again this year. I'm excited for Tyler's journey up in Alaska because I just booked flights to head up there as well. And I'll be getting into that, uh, what I learn up there in the coming weeks and months, as well as everywhere else that we had and are going to hunt the rest of this season around the country. We'll try to keep you informed about what we know so you can plan your dream hunts too. Until then, um, I'm Travis Frank and thanks to Brandon Morton as always for bringing us these podcasts and we hope you enjoy them. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Flush Podcast. Podcast.